We have Austin in here today from New York Prime Beef. Hey. Going to talk about some meats. Take us to meat school. Hi, everybody. I work for a company called Vista Food Exchange, and we are a national trading company that specializes in the sourcing, sale, and distribution of perishable commodities. Hey. In and layman's terms, what do you mean? We buy and sell trailer loads of commodity product. Meat, the, which is meat. Which is not appropriate for restaurants because nobody wants 40,000 pounds of uh, chicken drumsticks in their cooler. Shit. Depends on your operation, but maybe you do. How, mu- how much does <laughs> candlelight go through pounds. Super Bowl? I don't know. I don't, to I don't to know. put it in perspective, a, uh, a case of chicken is 40 pounds. Right. So okay. Yeah, it's a lot of chickens. It's a lot of chicken. Okay, so they, they buy and sell perishable commodities, and that's not just chicken. That could be uh, milk, primar- eggs. Pri- no, primarily protein. Okay, so meat for the most part. Correct. So New York Prime Beef is... New York Prime Beef is our flagship retail brand, and that is custom cut-to-order dry-aged prime beef that you can contact us and we'll cut any steak you want out of our dry-age inventory and ship it to anywhere you want in the U.S., uh, fresh, not frozen, uh, priority overnight via FedEx. You said aged. Dry-aged. Now, we see this all the time out in restaurants. This dry-aged piece of meat costs way more than all these other pieces of meats. Like, what makes a a dry-aged piece of meat so much better? So I will first off, let me, I'll answer your questions in, in, in that order. Okay. So first off, what is dry age meat? So dry age meat is when we're taking a subprimal. So that could be uh, varying cuts of the primal rib. So 109 is a standard rib roast, for example, or a standing rib roast rather. And uh, that is something that we'll put into a commercial dry aging room, and we will let that age for an extended period of time. Um, most people tend to gravitate towards a 28 to 30 day age. I like funk, so I would rather have double that. Um, there's three main variables that you control when you dry age, and that is temperature, airflow, and humidity. And that's where people can manipulate those variables to, to create a flavor profile that's unique to their product in their room. The reason why it's so expensive is because you're not going to put garbage into that room. So we only will put for our flagship brand, prime beef, USDA certified prime, um, that we will then dry age. Now, as a result of that, when it's dry aging, you are allowing water content to leave that subprimal. So as a result of that, it's shrinking down. So if you put a 25 pound piece of meat in there, it's not going to leave that room 25 pounds. So once you trim off all that age, which is inedible and not palatable, and it would be extremely bitter and not able to be chewed, um, you're, again, dwindling that weight down. So that cost goes up. That's your, you know, your loss, your yield loss. Um, that's why it's more expensive. Um, and your third question, I cannot remember what that, it was. That, that actually makes a lot of sense, I guess, then, too. But is in that aging process, is it essentially just... I guess, molding to the outside of the meat, and that's what's getting sliced off? Uh, so good bacterial growth is is positive because it's allowing enzymes to break down the, the muscle of the meat, which allows it to be uh, more tender, um, which, again, by taking that water content out, you're also enhancing the, the tenderness of that product and flavor profile. So it's a stronger, more pronounced flavor than a standard uh, fresh piece of meat. So, too, you, you say... Oh, and that was what your last question was. Sorry to interject. You asked, oh, why do people like it? Not everybody does like it. It's an acquired taste. People that like the funk love it. People that don't love the funk would rather have a fresh piece of meat. Um, so eating is a primal experience. It's visceral. It's, and it's also binary. You, you either love something or you don't. I mean, when you go out to eat, 
You're not going to a restaurant to say, mm, I hope I like this. That's probably not why you're going out to eat. Um, you're going out because you know there's something that is interesting to you on the menu, and uh, that's why you're going to go order it uh, for wherever, wherever you decide to dine. Um, so at the end of the day, like, you, you go out of your way to eat the things that you like. So, um, so that, that, that funk, though, that you, you referenced a few times, though, like, what did, how do you explain that funk? What is, what is that funk? I think it's probably kind of hard to explain unless I'll let the you've chef, actually yeah. tasted it. But when you get something that's really, really dry aged, like the 90 to 100 day things, it can be a little bit like, not even a little bit. It is kind of funky, like what he said. Like sometimes people compare it to like blue cheese or something like okay. really pungent like that. So if you get like a, like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a washed rind French cheese that's really strong and you let that sit for a while, it gets almost ammoniated. Like that really pungent. Uh, intense flavor profile, like you can achieve that with with beef as well. Um, sometimes you can achieve that just by letting it age for an extremely long period of time, and then other times, if you were to decrease airflow or just stack meat closer together, so there's less airflow around those subprimals, you will probably achieve that funkier flavor profile in a shorter period of time. Um, Hence, twenty eight. Days is that what's happening then? When well, I don't in, think they're letting it get that funky at twenty eight days, right? No, twenty eight to thirty. The only way that I could conceivably get something to taste that funky in thirty days is if I could let something wet age in advance, and then I could put it in the dry room. But then you're, if you do that incorrectly, then you've ruined that piece of meat. There's so many crazy key terms, my head's gonna explode. And wet aging is wet aging is where you cryovac uh, a, a subprimal bone Wait, in. Cryovac, cryovac. Is. <laughs> cryovac <laughs> is when you seal something in a vacuum sealed bag. Airtight. Yeah. Okay. Airtight, and uh, you allow it to sit in its juices and age. Gotcha. Yeah, but I, I feel like there's probably a lot more chance for maybe not good bacterial growth when you do it that way. Yeah, because then again, back to the where are you getting where are you getting the meat from. So if you have meat that's already sitting in juices for a while and it's purging in the bag is a, is a term, which I know you're familiar with that, um, you run the risk of that meat potentially getting sour. Some people would uh, classify that flavor profile as very uh, mineral, um, almost metallic. Okay. And uh, the, I personally think that uh, I more often than not always enjoy dry age. The wet age is, is hit or miss for me. Now the and you were saying that to achieve um, s- something here being dry aged, you are essentially controlling the temperature, the airflow, and the, the humidity Correct. of an area. So any one of these variable changes can create a whole different end product result. Hundred percent. Is there a f- is there like a sp- specific formula that you kind of go to every time for the most part where you're like, this yields the best result in our opinion. Mm, So I, I would say that you, we have a formula that we implement. um, So it would be proprietary to us as would anybody else's dry room be proprietary to them. So what are you saying Um, is these are business secrets that he's not going to reveal. What I'm saying, well, what, what, but basically (laughs) it's, it's all about getting something that works for, for you. Um, at the end of the day, like if, if your customers are pleased with more of a clean flavor profile, something that's not as blue cheesy, then, then if your customers are happy, don't go changing it. Um, that, that's something you have, it's trial and error. 
at so the end of the add, day. So would adding more humidity and making less airflow make something kind of seem more you'd funky? Run, you'd run the risk of having intense bacterial growth at a faster rate, which could cause your meat to spoil. Okay. So there's fast. crazy variables in there and any single one of those. The yeah. changes will no, be completely different. Exactly. So And, and to be clear, there's a big... So Anum, if he had his dry drink room at a restaurant, he would have he would be able to take a lot more liberties with how he's aging product and and what methods he's implementing to do that. Whereas what we are utilizing is a formula that is not only appropriate for our end product, but it's also something that adheres to our HACCP plan and uh, our SQF and and being a USDA facility. So there's certain things that we are not allowed to do that a restaurant could do. So for example, being able to place subprimals on wood blocks. Okay. Some people claim that they achieve a better flavor profile when they use wood in their drying room. We legally can't do that in our facility. So that's a very specific example, but an example nonetheless of, of there are certain factors that we can have fun and play with. And there's others that we can't um, just as a result of being a, a USDA facility. So another one would be a, uh, the restaurant Beatrice in so she does her whiskey aged yep. steak so like that's something I can't do at the moment just due to our HACCP plan and being a USDA facility so that's something that a chef can have a blast with and create a really really unique product uh, product that is um, very specific to to their restaurant to their menu and their cooking application so whiskey aged have you yeah. tried that by the way I have not had the opportunity is that I have had the opportunity to eat some snacks and drink at that establishment and i had an excellent time yeah. what is would, what is whiskey age is that back to the Beatrice and, uh chef angie mar she does a whole lot of um like spirit aged meats and so she'll wrap them in a cloth soaked with whiskey and just age it like oh, that. she's cool. cloth yeah yeah oh, she is cool so we get her on next are are people able to take meats from you and then continue the aging process on their own uh technically they could so it's not like a once it's, like it's, it's aged. over like it's you age it, then it's finished. Yeah. So hypothetically, if if a noom needed, uh, you know, eight short loins, and he needed them aged to to thirty days, and then he wanted us to deliver to them, deliver it to his restaurant, and then he wanted to uh, continue the aging process in a, in a specific way to him, um, by all means, we can do that. It's not something guys are typically doing, just because. It- um, takes more time. Or yeah, I mean, the whole the whole advantage to utilizing our services as a restaurant for food services that you don't have to worry about is having that storage space. Like, there's a there's a. I'm not saying you can't get some, you know, a, a decent aged product out of a walk in cooler, but it's not the same thing. Um, just due to the fact that you can't you can't manipulate your environment that is the best environment it can be for meat because it's not going to be good for Everything your onion else. and your broccoli and your tomatoes and, and all that, all that stuff. And you also don't have to wait. And you don't have to wait. We wait for you. So, all right. So dry aged isn't the only product that you have as far as New York prime beef goes. Correct. And yeah, in fact, when we met Austin, he just walked into the bar with a bunch of sausages. Yeah. He didn't even tell us who he was. He just walked in. And he was like, Hey, can I speak to the chef? And I got out there and he was like, Hey, taste my sausages. Tell me what you think. And I was like, <laughs> All right, guy, it's Friday night, and I'm kind of busy right now, so I guess I'll talk to you later. 
you went and cooked these sausages up at that point? Yeah, event- eventually, eventually we, well, I mean, we did. We just threw them in the fridge and continued with Friday night service. But eventually we cooked them up and we tasted them. And then he, he came back and we it, told him what I, we thought. I politely pestered a noom. On a Friday night? He made, he, made the, he made the mistake of giving me his cell phone. So I'm like, did you eat yet? Did you eat yet? Did you eat yet? <laughs> but see, so what I was asking him before, was that was that actually part of the long con where you're like, I'm going to get this guy's attention by giving him some free food? And I think one of the things you gave me was like, um, a Wagyu truffle bratwurst or something like that. And I was, was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. I guess I'll talk to you now. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was an interesting experiment. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, when I backstory, like, my, my I learned how to make sausage with my grandfather. So, like, every Easter, our entire family would get together and make kobasi. Um, so that I was, uh, I was my grandfather's taste tester, if you will, because I wouldn't get out of the kitchen unless people gave me food. So that was his way to... Uh, Keep me, keep me moving. Give me samples. So I fell in love making that and learning how to do that. So once I got into the meat business, I, uh, I just thought, Hmm, nobody's really tried to make Wagyu sausage. I'll give that a go. And that was a kind of a rude awakening as far as experiments are concerned, because working with pork is, is and beef, two totally different animals, no pun intended. And, uh, it's, it's definitely a different product overall because you have to manipulate that that lean to fat content in a different way than you would with with uh pork um so i think we did an experiment with with a pure grind and then a grind partial emulsion so we we played around with it a lot but uh to answer anum's question um and to go along with questions about selling and trying to get accounts as a salesperson um yeah no everyone's if everybody has a million people walking in saying, Hey, I want to sell you some stuff, but not many people walk in with something random that they've never seen or eaten before and said, Hey, I want your feedback on it. So I suppose uh, <laughs> you could call it the long con, but it has a negative connotation it. to it. I should have known. Um, but you know, it was one of those things where who can give me better feedback than somebody that is around food, cooking it and eating it and experimenting themselves with their ingredients. I can't ask for a better guinea pig than that. Um, so Anum was one of my guinea pigs amongst others. And, um, that feedback was invaluable. Um, it was, uh, but then, I mean, not to make him sound so nefarious, he also did come in and just sit at the bar and eat our food. And then he decided that maybe we would be right for some of his products. Perhaps he probably judged us before we judged him. Yeah. I I had a few libations as well, (laughs) but yeah, that's, you know, to, to that point you can't, I love food. I love eating it. So I don't feel appropriate trying to talk to somebody about the food that they make and trying to sell them on different protein products. If I don't, if I can't talk about the food they make. Um, so at the end of the day, like some recipes are better with chicken breast than chicken thighs. But for me to come in and tell you, you should use this other product before I've even eaten the product you've created. And then who the hell am I? And why are you even going to listen to me at all? I feel like um, a lot more people need to adopt that attitude. No, no, nobody does. <laughs> no, just That's be pushy, be pushy and get, get kicked out and leave the door open for me. Exactly. Um, I'm just kidding. But, uh, no, kind but I mean, that's kind of kidding. He's yeah. <laughs> well, I'm look, I'm not from, I didn't grow up in the meat business at all. Um, I just love eating food. Like that's probably, that's why I got into this business at the end of the day. But when I initially got into this business, it was strictly as uh, someone doing market research. Um, evaluating center of the plate protein items for uh, online meal delivery companies. Like that was my introduction into this business. That's how I got introduced to the company that, that I work for. Um, so it was good for me to understand why people are picking certain protein items over others because it forced me to recognize that I was only evaluating items based upon what I wanted to eat. 
and back to my comment about f- food is a, it's a, eating, it's a primal experience. It's, it's something that, that, uh, takes you back, so to speak. And if you don't like eating something, you're not going to return to that. So for me, there are certain things I love eating that other people do not enjoy eating or certain types of food. Like I love eating spicy food other than cereal and ice cream. Most of what I eat is extremely spicy. That's just how I like it. And, um, but that's not for everybody. You do have some spicy ice creams out now. Yo, you can get like quick a question. Have you been to uh, Ugly Baby? No, but that name makes me want to go. It's uh, I believe it's a Thai restaurant, but a lot of my coworkers have gone and they said it's some of the spiciest food they've ever eaten. A lot of people who I know to eat spicy food so they can't finish all they Yeah, I never, I, never I, I need to Thai go. Food. Really? Is it? Yeah. Is it in Manhattan? I believe it's in Brooklyn. Hmm. You should look it up. I just saw a chocolate dipped ghost peppers somewhere. That's disgusting. That's yeah, no. That's, that's, that's a bad much. decision. Yeah, that's too yeah. much. Yeah. I like spicy food too, but I'm not going anywhere near like eating a pepper. I was we had, ghost started out. We had ghost peppers in yeah, I Remember Eric ate one? Yep. Uh, that was you not have, a good that wasn't a that's good That's not run. a good move. You gotta <laughs> build up you gotta build up that tolerance. Yeah. Like it's not and I and I use that word specifically, tolerance, because like those are painful. They, they get I'll sweat like a like yeah. but I yeah, I can't stop. I'm like I need to eat I'm sweating, it's hurting, but I'm like, let me get some more. I think a habanero is probably closest to like as hot as I would eat like Intentionally, you know, like I'm not trying to so get too much hotter than we were. Well, that, that's the capsicum Chinese. Yeah. That that that's this that's the family. I don't know, but regardless, like all of those, like the ghost pepper and the uh, the Trinidad Reaper. scorpion yeah. and all those, those, those are all technically capsicum Chinese. So they they're all branched off of that. He's not just meat. <laughs> Clearly, well, peppers too. so I actually yeah, I used to grow chili peppers back home. Go. So I go. I'm which back to the comment of. Store-bought versus homegrown, very, very different. Like a, yeah. like a legitimate, like a well-grown jalapeno from somebody's garden is, will light you up, whereas a store-bought one probably won't. Um, what, do you, what are the differences between like a homegrown and a store-bought? Why is one hotter? What, what are the, what's, what's with wine, the terroir? But uh, okay. I don't know. I think it's, you don't rush it. Like when you're growing it at home, you're just doing it for fun. You're not, you're not picking anything early. So produce like protein, anything else, it's, it's a business. So if you're going to scale fast, you need to produce fast. Which is why if you have something that is all natural, organic, antibiotic free, no growth promotants, all those things that people claim, the educated consumer claims they want to eat, they don't always want to pay for it. Because sure. it costs a lot more to raise that animal, just like with produce. It's, it's, it's no different. So... Talking about that, and you just said understanding why people eat or choose the proteins that they want to eat. Let's talk about different styles of meat. Like, why do we why do we want wagyu? Well, I mean, because it tastes better. Well, I mean, <laughs> not I know everybody this, does. Really? It's, yeah. Well, it, look, and a lot of people do enjoy eating it, but they don't. We eat with our eyes first, and then our wallets. Mm-hmm. We're all guilty of that. Well, you know, wallets aside, let's talk about. I think, well, Wagyu is a lot different because it's the, the, it's obviously got an abundant amount of marbling, so it's going to lend itself to being more tender. Um, Before you get there, what is Wagyu? It's a Japanese cattle. But now you have, but now you have American Wagyu, so that's, that's Wagyu. it's a, genetically speaking, it, it's pulling from some of the same genetics that the, that the original Japanese breeds are. So there's only, I think, I, I think there's only two breeds that, you'll find here that are derived from what was in Japan and one's the Japanese black and one's the Japanese brown. Um, 
as far to my knowledge, the biggest Japanese brown herds are in Texas because those cattle do better uh, in the extreme heat. So uh, for the most part, most of the Japanese black herds are, are typically like Pacific Northwest, Midwest, um, and some as far north as, as places like Vermont. Um, but those are, again, niche niche farms. Um, they're not huge. Like Snake River, I don't know if anybody can compete with them on a marketing level. Um, they're extremely consistent, but they charge for that. You know, it's a premium product and it's got a premium price tag. And if you're looking at just Google Wagyu on Instagram, it's the uh, insane, right insanely marbled pieces of meat. And Snake River Farms, they're they're from the Midwest, yeah? Uh, I think they... I think they do a lot in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, okay. So this yeah. is actually from Nebraska. Um, so this is... Okay. That's so, an example of it. So again, you see abundant marbling, right? So it's significantly more than prime. Now, not all producers are doing what's called a full-blood animal. So they'll do a hybrid cross. So a lot of people are doing crosses between Black Angus and Japanese Black, for example. So, so your Wagyu is that domestic or is it imported? We have both. We have both. Correct. Okay. Gotcha. And when you're getting it from here, where is that really sourced from? Mostly, I think most of the domestic wagyu like you're saying is coming from like Snake River Farms. Otherwise, okay. it's these small niche farms. Gotcha. Yeah, I Well, our brand, like the brands that we've purchased from um, anywhere from Oregon, Washington, Nebraska. So is wagyu the top chain as far as meat prices go? Depends like, on where you're getting it from. Like, what's really the most expensive cut of meat that we wind up seeing uh, in always, restaurants for the most part? It's always the tenderloin. Well, I shouldn't say that. I guess from a yield perspective, the tenderloin always ends up being expensive just because the, the loss is so significant. Which is but, what you were, we were saying a little about. bit earlier. Um, but, yeah, uh, it just it depends. I mean, availability can cause prices to drive up. I mean, it's, uh, you know, years ago, like, Everybody wanted ground chuck for burgers, but now chuck rolls, when they're sliced thin for things like shabu shabu, they're fantastic. But that's where a lot of that product's going or it's getting exported to Asian markets. So that cost gets driven up and then therefore people like us necessarily uh, won't even be able to acquire it. And if we do acquire it, it will not be at a, at a price that was as favorable as it once was. And, and that leads me into something, too, uh, and I don't know how correct this is, as I've learned through time that my grandmother has told me a couple fables. Um, but she said that skirt steak once was, like, it was not desirable. Like, people weren't looking for that cut mm -hmm. whatsoever, and she said it was just it was cheap as hell. And now she looks at the prices, and she goes, how is this in such demand? Why are yeah. the prices skyrocketed so much over time? And does that go back to just demand yeah, and ex trends? Ex and exactly. I think it's mostly demand and trends. Like, uh... Lobster was one of those that was also always thought of as like a garbage cut, and then all of a sudden people love to eat lobster. But I mean, you could talk more about the skirt steak stuff. A lot of it comes in a restaurant too. Is you look for gems where you can find a value, a price that's lower, and present it in a way that's desirable. Because obviously, that's, yeah, that's, that's like for educating us. your customers on a lesser known product that you can get for a good price yeah. and transform it into something that people enjoy. So, what's the difference between like a skirt steak and a flat meat? They're coming from different parts of the animal. And considerably different price, but sort of similar in cut and texture? No. Not at all. <laughs> well, skirt, steak, nope. skirt steak will still 
you can, it will be a steak. You can do that as a center of the plate protein item, flat meat. You're not going to like the name alone. <laughs> I challenge you to offer that to your customers. Oh, it doesn't say, sound sexy. Challenge accepted. Oh, those are special flat meats. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's, and look, it prepared right. It eats, flat meat special it eats, next weekend. It eats incredibly well when it's, when it's done right. Um, but like, there's a lot. And again, like how are you cooking it? Like the cooking application is a big, big thing. Like I'm talking to barbecue guys right now. I love brisket. It's my favorite barbecue item on the planet. I will pick that over any rib, period. How do we do that? We spice rub it and we cook it low and slow for an extended period of time. And it comes out juicy and succulent and it's the, it's the best. But you'll never find that with, you know, an Asian market. You go to a Korean restaurant for Korean barbecue, they're going to do that paper thin. And it's going to be hot and fast is how they're going to cook it. So taking the same muscle, but they're going to cook it in an entirely different way. So... Some meats you can do that with, others uh, not so much. You speak a lot about uh, Asian markets, and I know when I was at Smokehouse dealing with you, you'd oftentimes come in with like um, an advertisement, or not an advertisement, but talking about like a pork belly that you had fabricated for an Asian market. Mm. What do you, what is the actual difference between the way, I guess, our American markets and the Asian markets want their food, and like how, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with those differences? So you're talking about the, the single rib belly where yeah. they leave the finger meat attached. Um, yeah, they, I, I like that visually that just excites me because it's, it was different from the pork bellies I grew up eating. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, it's, it's extra meat on there. So again, like think about, you know, an American, American, uh, eatery, like people love St. Louis ribs. But if you are a fan of the pork belly, you're going to, you don't, St. Louis ribs are a waste to you. You'd rather keep that meat attached to the pork belly. So I guess generally speaking, that would be one way that it would be created like that. Um, The pork belly, the the reason I was bringing that up to you going back to when you were at Smokehouse was because um, I was presented with that, that product from our Wagyu supplier who will sell to the Japanese, Chinese and Korean restaurants and that was an item that he had that just ex- ate exceptionally well. Um, and it was different from the commodity pork belly. Oh, it was very so pork that's, belly. that's primarily why I was, I was offering that just to be different at the end of the day. Gotcha. And uh, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. If, and that's when it comes down to dollars and cents. <laughs> so, you know, if you really like it and it's different and you enjoy it, but it's $2 more a pound, you're going to be like, no, because if you can achieve the same result, and save yourself the money at the end of the day. Like that's, that's the difference between profit and profit and loss. Right. So, and that, that's the side of the business that you and I both understand, but from two totally different perspectives. Absolutely. So, you know, I think about yield loss when the meat's still raw. We think about it after it's cooked. Exactly. Which is even more significant at times. Is there, can you put, and for somebody that openly I know some things of meat. I apparently am an idiot. Know nothing about meat. Can you put together don't like let, don't a, let Justin make you feel bad? No, no, it's not Justin. It's reality. Oh no, <laughs> I'm I'm getting there. talked to later. I guarantee it. <laughs> uh, can you put together like a soft list of maybe like what are the fattiest meats out there versus I guess what's more lean? Is that right? Like terminology there? Well, are we are talking, talking about, about fat outside, fat on the exterior, just, or are we talking about intermuscular fat? Because those are well, intermuscular is kind of what you want. That's for the, the juices, yeah. right? Yeah. That's the marbling. Okay. Is there, is there, so you're talking some about like different cuts or different like types of protein? Different cuts, of right? Because beef. of the beef. Yeah, totally. Uh, of the beef are completely different. Say a porterhouse versus a New York strip, right? Porterhouse, you're getting a little bit of both. Correct. 
right? But the but you're still getting a strip in there. In the porterhouse. So yes. So so that that's. So when you have your strip loin and the tenderloin connected, well, it's still it's still in it's still in, mm-hmm. in you know it's still uh, attached to the bone and the Correct. vertebrae like that. That's called a short loin. That's subprimal. Okay. So we'll buy that and we will dry age that, for example. Um, but you could also buy just what are called three by two shells. So that's that's just the bone and strip loin, and then we can dry age that. But that won't come with the tenderloin attached. Gotcha. And in the short loin, it's not like you cut it from one end to the other and you get nothing but porterhouses. Um, you know, we probably get like <coughs> two beautiful porterhouses, maybe two really nice T-bones, and the rest are all strip steaks. Um, so back to your question of why certain things cost so much. Think about when you when you have a short loin and then that the packing house that's slaughtering all the animals has all these short loins and then they have to cut the strip loin out and the and the tenderloin out. Like now that all that bone that's being discarded is technically a loss. So that's why that boneless strip loin is gonna cost a lot more on a price per pound than something that's boned. Gotcha. Okay. And I mean, what is the more desirable cuts of uh, of beef at this point? currently that you see going out do you see what's time. happening he has to go home and cook dinner tonight so he's like what should i cook for yeah, what should I get? <laughs> guarantees a post on his instagram yep. later like um again palate preference some people enjoy like i love eating flank steak you know how successful i've been selling flank steak to restaurants not very so it's not a sexy cut most people don't like that but i have a soft spot for it because that's the first steak i remember my dad grilling for us when i was a kid so I love eating that cut, but uh, that's not known for being very tender. You can attest to that. You cook that wrong, you might as well eat your shoe. Yeah. But the, you know, the middles are always the, the classic center of the plate items. Your, you know, your ribs, your strips, your tenderloins. Um, but again, how are you cooking it? So to me, I think that that's it's a difficult question for me to answer because I don't know what the application is. Sure. Right. So you're not gonna. You don't want to take a inside round and say, I'm going to cut this into steaks because probably not going to eat probably the way the you best. want. But if you spice rub it and have somebody that may know how to smoke something like a noom, he can make you the most killer roast beef ever. So it, again, cooking application is, is a big part of determining what item you want to cook and what you want to eat. So do you, do you nooms have a go-to for your favorite cut to be cooking or? It, like you just said, it depends on how I'm cooking it. So if it's like over the summer and I have my grill out and I'm going outside to cook a piece of meat, I'll get like a ribeye or something like that. But if I'm cooking inside and maybe I know my stove doesn't get as hot as my grill does, it'll be something like a tenderloin or a strip, you know? Now am I crazy to suggest something being cooked sous vide as far as piece of beef goes? Not at all. Um, we do that a lot at work. I don't do it too much at home with beef just because I can just put it on the stove and be done quicker. Yeah. I sous vide a lot of chicken at home. Is there a piece of beef, though, that you'd throw in the sous vide that somebody would frown upon if that was to be done? Um, Anybody that doesn't like sous vide? Yeah. And it also depends on what you're going to do with it afterwards, you know. Um, We sous vide, or we used to sous vide, um, Wagyu culotte. That was our main steak when we were sous viding it. It was super nice because you'd drop it in the bath, 60 degrees Celsius for about an hour, take it out, dry it off, grill it up, and then slice it. It was one of the most beautiful pieces of steak you'd get. And then you were told it would be how much because the supply is non-existent? Well, I mean, we're still using those. I'm not sure exactly what we're paying on, paying for them. I can't speak to that. But we can we can talk about that afterwards. Yeah. Maybe but, I can beat the price. <laughs> <laughs> He'll come in with some sausage. Hey, he's been in there once talked to somebody. I don't know how that ever turned out, but he tried. He did try. No, I went in there and ate. Well, yeah. 
that uh the next conversation i just emailed emailed pricing and and emails everybody's favorite way so there's oh, yeah. there's there's three s's right there's counterfeit and there's commitment and confirmation when someone tells you yeah sure i'm interested email me yeah. that that's a counterfeit yes <laughs> and, I, and to that i'd rather just be told no leave me alone i will never do business with you because I'd rather just not get my hopes up and move on to the next one. That's fair. Well, it's like the guys that run around in expos and they're serial uh, business card giver outers. Right? Mm. Like they're not even having a conversation with you, but they're <laughs> just like here really to take, about take, take, my, take my card, take my card, take my card. Like oh, I didn't even talk to you. Almost as if they have to like go back to the office and prove how many, how many cards conversations they had. Like, I gave out 25 cards today. I'm doing my job. So awesome. What, what do you cover as far as uh, region here? How far up and how far down are you going? Um, so I'll speak on behalf of our sales team out of our facility. Um, so we go right now as far north as Mount Kisco and Stamford, Connecticut, uh, as far west as Newark, New Jersey, and, um, and then as far east as Montauk and Greenport. We people that can't have to go work much on, further east than that. I was no. going to say people <laughs> that work in Long Island get shafted. You never know. You, there's maybe a couple of yachts out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, my. I've been focusing more on processing and our facility uh, because a mentor of mine told me to to evaluate the business and and diversify. So don't just focus on selling one item to one type of customer because uh, at the end of the day, you, it's peaks and valleys in sales. So sometimes it's really busy, and other times it's extremely slow. This is obviously not. A busy time of year uh, for anybody. So in that diversification, speaking, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump in here. But speaking of diversifying, we've had some conversations about some new types of protein to add or, or mm-hmm. produce, specifically in the exotics section. Correct. Right? What do you got? I'm, I'm going so. to meet with that person on Friday at their facility. I wasn't facility, asking for an update. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> it's okay. Since you love to you love to stick it to but me about that. Where where it comes from, I became aware. Maybe it was from the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, you were talking he about talks you guys about, about elk. He speaks a lot about, like, elk and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But he but, hunts for his. Yeah. Well, I mean, I understand. We can arrange that, but, by the way. But you can the, arrange I'm, hunting trips? So the thought Not process. through my company, but through a friend of mine. Let's go. Yeah. That's on our leisurely time. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. But the re- the reason being, or one of the reason beings, is that apparently there's a there's a chemical that's, a, that's apparent that's uh, in red meat. That is not in, like, the game wild, like, elk or what else were we talking about? Axis deer mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, like, that chemical is, I don't even know if I can say it, but trimethylamine and oxide or TMAO. But that, that chemical sounds delicious. Been, yeah, it's great. So that's, that's the chemical that they're pinpointing as one of the causes of heart disease. Uh. So if you were to switch and consume elk, or one of the gamier proteins. The idea is you're lowering your chances. You're lowering your chances of heart disease, so you can continue on with a with a meat diet and not have those risks. And I think that was one of the things that he Joe Rogan was speaking about on his yeah. podcast. And I've had a couple of conversations since then, and then I kicked it over to to Austin and told me about some elk. And there we are. Interesting. Yeah, I've never, I haven't eaten elk in a while, but I, I grew up eating like a, like white-tailed deer is something I've eaten a fair amount of, and that is, uh, you want to talk about some gamey flavor profiles, eat a deer steak 
like cut from the round or the chuck that for a deer that wasn't processed very quickly. And mm-hmm. it was, you want to talk about strong flavor, <laughs> pronounced. <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, never, I will never eat that again. Grind, get, grind it into sausage. Not yeah. talking, not to talk about sausage again, but like uh, I, I would much prefer to eat deer sausage or, or like ground meat from from the carcass than I would eating deer steaks. Other than the back straps, the back straps are usually a nice clean flavor, but everything else grind it up. But so that, that clean or unclean flavor comes from how quickly it was processed and how it was processed, and you're saying you lose that flavor when you grind it up and like cover it in seasons and spices and whatnot. Yeah, I mean seasoning and spices are. Make, make most things taste better. Um, but yeah, I mean, also think about not everybody has a clean kill. True. Right? So if you look at the whole thought process behind, um, you know, treating animals humanely and, and from, from start to finish, you know, from raising them, feeding them, transporting them to slaughter, when, and when they get harvested, uh the kinder you are to that animal and, and the better it's treated, the chances of it producing a better tasting meat are proven. I mean, that that's, you know, look for, no further than Temple Grandin on that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why she's sought after as, as far as um, advising people on that activity and, and how they, how they want to slaughter animals. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you are, if an animal is terrified, they're going to, they're going to produce toxins into the meat, which will then not, lend itself to meat that eats as well and it won't taste as good. So that's, and do, please don't ask me where I read that, but I've I, heard, I've heard things like yeah, that before. But I will also say that, you know, think of somebody, you know, if a deer is grazing in somebody's backyard and it's a, it's a clean kill. That's one thing. A deer that uh, is shot with an arrow and it runs two miles, um, and then falls in a ditch somewhere, and then it's just bleeding out, dying. Like that animal's probably not going to taste as good, right? Um, so, I have, hunting is a, a bittersweet thing. I think. I think I'm I'm in support of it if you're going to eat what you kill, but shooting things just to shoot things, I'm not an advocate of that. No, I mean that. He, and you were just saying a second ago too, in uh, focusing more on the processing and diversifying. What else besides, you know, walking in here to Newham's with sausages and whatnot, are you guys able to provide to some of the, the locations that you work with? Well, it's total. Well, I guess what I meant was if if a Noom started raising his own cattle and he needed and he had a slaughterhouse to slaughter them and then he needed somebody to, to cut his steaks for him and package them with his, you know, a new brand steaks, like we would offer that service as a, as a facility. Gotcha. Okay. So that's what I, that's what I meant. So okay. it's really my, my customer would be somebody like a wholesaler that is already going to be selling cut product or dried product to their customer base. Um, and I'm just merely providing a service. And how, how often do you see these accounts show up? They are extremely hard to come by. Right. Okay. <laughs> yes. And then from that point, do you have I- any right now? Yes, but we can talk about that afterwards because, uh, yeah, <laughs> t- t- completely different. But uh, I, have, I have another guest for you uh, that I think will be very, very, uh, you'll really enjoy talking to him. So cool. that's somebody that we can talk about afterwards. Nice. Now, you were saying that you were bringing a new Wagyu sausage mm-hmm. at some point. But Wait, I'm sorry. Before you get into that, can we stay on the game, the, the gamey topic? 
a little bit. Right? What would you like to talk about? Well, also gator. Gator. You want alligator? Yeah. <laughs> we we is that like a big seller for you, alligator? No. Uh. Nobody asked for alligator. I'm, asking, for I'm asking for alligator. Why do you want alligator all of a sudden? Because I, w- I want to cook it and I want to eat it. You personally want to cook I alligator? Do, yeah, I really do. Because I've I've at first I was totally like not into it at all, and what I didn't want your to. Mind? I've read some, and I'm I can't remember the recipes now, but I read some recipes and ways to like smoke them and make them better that. It, Supposedly, is very uh, good. What's his name? Chef uh, Paul Jean, the guy. Yes, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's that's what it was. Yeah. I saw that. He does it. I saw his page, and it like inspired me. Like I gotta, I gotta, I gotta work on some cater. Here. But you've never even tasted it. You don't know. Uh, I mean, there's a first time for everything, right? right. Like, you ever eaten frog? No, the gamiest thing I've ever eaten was geese. Goose? Like Christmas goose? No, I had two of them, so geese. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wait, wait, time out. Did you eat the ones that you had? Like the ones living. No, in those I have ducks. Oh, okay. Those are ducks. <laughs> Man, you're no, getting really into it. I didn't eat those. I do eat their eggs. I have they Do you my plan ducks, to eat those duck eggs? Ducks are excellent. They're awesome. Do you They're plan not, to eat those ducks? If they don't produce eggs. Cool. That was the deal. I told my son, they don't produce eggs, whoosh, off going in the smoker. <laughs> when when you do that, let me come by, I'll cook them for you. Alright, fair enough. But, fro- frog legs to me were essentially like having little wings. Yeah, I love, back, love why I love Why did you go back to frogs? Frog we got gator, we got duck, and we're talking about. Well actually I mean well technically in, in Jay's defense, frog moving from gator to frog is is much closer than going from elk to, to guess, gator. I guess you're right. <laughs> but no, so can you get Fair. him gator? Where do you get gator from? I'll have to look into that. Okay. The goose I had, by the way, just to clarify, was at a tailgate. And I someone was, I don't remember what they were trading. I think it was like cheese or something. They didn't have cheese <laughs> at the tailgate. And they wanted, to, can we borrow some cheese? So we said, sure. And then they, they brought over the a goose in exchange like would you like to try some some of these geese and it was good and we're like sure and they're like yeah we shot them this morning so it was like they just shot the geese and brought it to the tailgate and it was it's some feather on it but it was it was good <laughs> I've, okay yeah, i don't think i've ever eaten it was gamey. any bird that yeah. fresh it was gamey for sure but it's interesting do y'all do y'all do any uh hanging of, of game birds at manhattan um no we don't hang our ducks to dry them but we do slightly age them a bit i'm not okay. sure exactly how long we do but we do age them before we that was actually the second time i i ate a, a bird that fresh the other time was in armenia i told you that story yeah with the quail mm. i love quail they they come and they take your order and they're like what does everybody want to eat whatever and they go through it and then we had ordered quail for the most part because i don't even know what the other animal was so we went with quail and then they said okay be ready in about an hour. <laughs> Go enjoy the lake or something like that. So we went down to the lake, and sure enough, in the distance, we heard like some shots going. My dad's like, "There, that's dinner. They're getting our dinner for <laughs> They're us. Getting our dinner that's, right now. That's it's fresh. a common theme. I feel like outside, like uh, I'm yeah. my father's Moroccan, so every okay. time we would go to Morocco, there would be we'd have to count the tablecloths because that's how you knew how many courses you were having because it was a new <laughs> tablecloth for each course. That's cool. And when I, I was really, when I was really young, cool. it was like seven tablecloths. It was insane. But a lot of times, like, something would come out onto the table, and you look at it, and you go, that looks a little familiar. And you go, hey, can somebody translate to me what this is? And one time it was pigeon, 
And I, I was like, I, like I like pigeon a lot. So oh. I couldn't wrap my head around it being like a 16 year old kid also though. And I was like, no, nah, we're good. We have those walking all over Manhattan. <laughs> I don't need to taste that whatsoever. It's But weird. that should make you want to taste it even more. You're like, I'm so familiar with you. I was a 16 year old kid. I grew up on like hot dogs and burgers at that point. Right? I would never think to eat a pigeon. Oh, it's we amazing. Have, we have really? a new yeah. squab dish on the menu. It's quite fucking delicious. And it's so red. Yeah. Like yeah, the flesh it's, is it's so beautiful. Red. It's really nice. I can show you a picture real quick. It's um so we have a squab on croute. So it's a squab breast with lined with black truffle, wrapped in duck sausage, wrapped in Swiss chard, wrapped in a crepe, wrapped in puff pastry, and the whole thing gets baked and then sliced for you. Wrapped in gator. Can you can you send <laughs> that, us that picture and we can put it up yeah, on that, the Instagram later? Yeah, yeah, Is it yeah. Central Park squab? No. No, I don't know where we get it from. Local. So nice. Oh, fuck yeah. Pardon my language. Yeah. Um that looks amazing. Oh wow. Dude, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, that, that when you guys incredible. see what he's talking about when you look up the Instagram at Waiting on Fries. And again, that is why you, you get what you pay for. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? And you go to your restaurant, you're not getting a $5 sandwich, no. but you're you getting get an $18 a, you're, burger. You're getting an inc- and it's delicious, by the way. Um, <laughs> you're getting an incredible Experience. piece of meat. So I remember when I first uh, when I was meeting with you at Manhattan, and um, I forget the young lady who was the bartender, but she was talking about the, the biggest task that everybody was given opening up was, can we have food that matches the view? Yep. And um, y'all are definitely doing that. Working on it. What? How much does that go for? The squab, it's part of the three course. Uh, I'm not sure what it costs to get it a la carte, but it's part of the three course, so you get it for 98 bucks. In three courses. Yeah. Remember when I Free was Free table like, class. I, yeah, remember I was like, I can't come here. It's above my pay grade. And you just, three courses, 98? Yeah. It's not that bad. For, for something that looks like that? Absolutely not. And you're still getting two other courses on either side of that. And uh, there's no tipping. So, I mean, if you don't buy anything to drink, you're in for 98 bucks and that's it. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. But what is dinner without a beverage? There you go. Exactly. It isn't life. Let's nice be honest. glass of water. Uh, speaking of speaking of Tap, a, a beverage with your dinner, <laughs> yes, I recently learned we went out to a dinner that was hosted by Beam Suntory and uh, Cowsteaks, and it was at Boucherie in the city. And I did not know this previously, but having a, a nice cut of meat with a overproofed whiskey is the way to go. It really hmm. opens up the meat. Interesting. It's, Something that you've come across before, or no? I might be. I, I don't know. Like I, I have. I, I like bourbon a lot. I don't typically drink it when I'm eating. Mm-hmm. That's more of my my nightcap. Uh, my whole family's gotten into the wee whiskeys because my brother-in-law's whole family's from Scotland, so they introduced us to you must have a wee whiskey after dinner, and um, so now we've all taken to that like fish to water and. Um, so we all we all do indulge, but we I, I don't typically drink it when I eat, but I, I would enjoy that. I don't see why I wouldn't. There's a, one of my friends, he runs a Mason, uh, pardon me, a Mason Dixon Distillery in Pennsylvania, in Gettysburg, actually. And uh, one of the things that he'll, he'll experiment with is doing what's called a, a fat wash. So you'll actually use um, fat. Like, like lard and, and mix it in with your drink. And you wouldn't think that, kind of like what you're saying, you wouldn't think that it would lend itself to that, but it, it's incredible because you still you still pick up on all these different nuances with the flavor, but you the, the bite is totally removed as a result of that uh, fat. So yeah. it, it's 
I found that to be pretty interesting because I thought I wasn't going to enjoy it, but I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. I was going to say washes are something that is happening heavily right now in, in drink world, and you'll take that fat and throw it into the jar with the whiskey. You'll freeze it uh, so that way it's easier to separate later okay. on. Um, but you're seeing all these kinds of washes, whether it be like butter, uh, uh, bacon fat, Duds, or grease. Your guy right? Duds talks about doing fat washes with bacon fat quite often. I don't know if he has ever dubbed them for the restaurant, but I know he does them for himself. No. What about what if you did a uh, what if you did a dried beef tallow and did that? That could be very good. That would be strong. Yeah. On a drink? Yeah. That might go horribly wrong. <laughs> Don't, we, don't try that at home. Yeah, Jay, Jay, Jay will probably try Yeah, it. can we experiment here? I did see someone go as crazy as to do like a popcorn butter wash somewhere. I can uh, see that being tasty. Which seems quite interesting. Uh, yeah, exactly. The All these different flavor notes and whatnot. It's like we're just so damn bored with all the spirits that are out right now. Where it's like, hey, let's just start mixing it and washing it through all these other various channels, right? Do you guys sell um, like rendered fat? Rendered waggy fat, can you buy that from you? I can just I can just sell you fat. What would be more cost effective, Anum, is if you bought your Wagyu from me and then you can save all that fat. Well no, so we, we do that. We do that. Um at Manhattan. I was just wondering, do you does somebody come to you asking you for like rendered fat? No, I mean we can't we don't cook. Well no, I know. But yeah, we would be able to supply you with that. Like I could it would be for Again, going into business mode here for USDA, like we would have to be labeled as cooking, trimming for cooking use only. I see. So, and then as long as you're cooking with it, then it's good to go. Yeah. I mean, we don't need to buy that. We render our own fat and go through courts and courts and courts of it. But I'm just curious. No, I'm saying I could, I could just sell you the fat. Sell us the fat. Yeah, but I mean, like we're trimming our own steaks and yeah. using that. As I said, be happy to, yeah. happy to offer them to you. Oh, yeah. I know. Austin, New York Prime Beef. Yes. Nationally, anybody can contact you and uh, essentially yes. get an yeah, account so going. Th- so they can order they can order our our designed packages online. But if there's something custom that they want that is not online, then all they have to do is call. Sure, but they're not so getting a wholesale price or something if they just get it. No, online, it's right? I mean it's a retail price. Yeah. Um, so we any of our wholesale business is done out of our facility and it's cut and it's dried and cut in the same place mm-hmm. as all the products for New York Prime. But it's a it's a different. Same product, different service. Okay. Say so there's a guy out there with a restaurant listening right now, and he said, I want to get my hands on some of this. Can he just open up an account with you? Yeah, that's extremely easy for us. Is there, uh, any, is there anybody you're not going to service? As long as, long as the, uh, the money is green <laughs> and they like beef, we we're happy to do business. All right. So we'll get your information down in the show notes there. Uh, you can click to the side there and, and find Austin. Plugs? Wait, wait, Pardon? I got one more question. Are you guys getting into the uh, sustainable meat industry? Are you guys like... Oh, that's a shot. No, I'm just curious. No, like, I what mean do you a guys... shot for the, the drinking games. The, oh. Jays, <laughs> the Jays, Jays drinking game. Drinking yeah. Games. But no, how do you guys feel about that? What are you thinking about it? Are you thinking about it? Is it just not a concern for you? I, no, we will... Look, our, our rule of thumb is that we're going to source whatever our customers want. So we can source any product as long as it has a home to go to. But I will say there are times when when people request certain items that meet certain criteria, and when they see the price, they have sticker shock, and then they immediately say, "I'll take that commodity product, please." Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, like you know, we we pride ourselves on customer service. That's really what what we want to focus on, and and whatever our customers want, we we want to we want them to be happy with the products that they get from us. Cool. Could you give them your email so they can send you? Pop 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 pop. pop. That was keys typing, by the way. If it's if it's for New York Prime Beef, we'll you'll go through our website. 
Okay. Gotcha. Which we can put, you know, you're more than welcome to put uh, our, our link and, and our number. Yep, yep, yep. On there, which I can. Oh, I'll put that all down in the show notes for everybody to click through. Thank so, you for coming out. Yeah, no, thank you for thank you for having me. This was uh, an unexpected surprise. <laughs> Thanks, Austin. No, thank you all. Appreciate it. My stomach is growling now. Starving. <laughs> also, guys, don't forget to smash that like and subscribe button because, you know, algorithms. Interested in seeing what else Austin has to offer over at New York Prime Beef, the best steaks on the planet? Head over to NewYorkPrimeBeef.com.